Well, we are in our series on courageous leadership, and I want to talk this morning about why character counts. Why character counts. It is one of the most non-negotiable principles of leadership. We have to have character. We need it in public life. We need it in our private life. We need it in our relationships. Character matters. Now, you pay much attention in our world today. Character doesn't seem to matter. But if you want to make a difference, if you want to be a game changer, then be a person who has character. I love this quote in your notes. Charles Spurgeon said, a good character is the best tombstone. Character is who you are when everyone is looking and when no one is looking. You see, you're acting if you're one thing when everybody's looking and you're something different when nobody's looking. Character is who you are when everyone is looking and when no one is looking. Character is defined as the distinctive nature of something, the strength and the originality in a person's nature. The origin of the word is for a stamping tool to stamp an impression on an object, on a piece of metal, or on a piece of wood, or to seal something. Character is that which seals us. It's the attitude of the psalmist. If you have your Bible, turn to Psalm 119, Psalm 119, and I want you to see some statements that I want to give you based on what the writer of Psalm 119, the longest chapter in the Bible, about the middle of your Bible, is Psalm 119. It is arranged alphabetically in the Hebrew language so it would be easy for children to memorize and for the Jewish people to memorize. Let's pick up in verse 33. Teach me, O Lord, the way of your statutes, and I shall observe, that's a character word, I shall observe it to the end. Give me understanding that I may observe, there's that character word again, your law, and keep it, there's a character trait, with all my heart. So in the Word, we learn the character of God. If I want to know the kind of character that I'm supposed to have, I need to be a student of the Word to learn the character of God because His character is to be reflected in my life. Verse 35, make me walk. That's a direction. Make me walk in the path of your commandments for I delight in it. So if I've learned the character of God, then we obey the commandments of God. We walk in the ways of God. We walk in the commandments of God, the laws, the statutes of God. Not to be legalists, but because the character of God says there is a right and a wrong. There's that which is good and that which is bad. There's that which is holy and that which is evil. And so we walk in the character of God, and then we obey the commandments of God. Verse 36, incline my heart to your testimonies, and not to dishonest gain. Turn away my eyes from looking at vanity, and revive me in your ways. A person of character will delight in the ways of God. We delight in the ways of God. God's ways are good. You see, your outlook determines your outcome. 
God's ways are good. If you see the ways of God as restrictive and as keeping you from having real life, then you'll never live the life God intends you to live. You'll always be looking for a loophole, which most of the world does. Verse 38, establish your word to your servant as that which produces reverence for you. So here's the thought here. When we fear God, we fear nothing else. When we fear God, we fear nothing else. If you don't have a reverence for God, you'll fear everything and everybody, and you will compromise your character to make somebody happy that doesn't even care about you. But when we fear God, we fear nothing else. We don't fear what opinion polls say, what opinions of others are, friends or enemies. We live for the voice of one to speak into our hearts and into our minds. Now, you'll see in your notes, while we stress over the lack of character in our land, I believe we could answer and fix most of the character issues personally, whether you're a child, a teenager, an adult, a senior adult, whether you're a leader, a business leader, an owner, an employee, a husband, or a wife, uh, in your relationships, I believe we could fix most of our problems if we just ask three or four basic questions. Question number one, and these are out of 1 Corinthians 10, is it beneficial and helpful? Is it beneficial and helpful? 1 Corinthians 10, 23. Is it beneficial and helpful? There's just some things you don't have to do if you just ask one question. Is this beneficial to my life and my goals and my plans and my dreams and why I believe God put me on this planet? And is it helpful in getting me to that point? If it's not beneficial and helpful, then why are you doing it? A lot of people have done things that weren't beneficial and helpful and have lived to regret it. Second question. Is it constructive? 1 Corinthians 10, 23, again, not everything is constructive or beneficial. Is it constructive? Does it build up? Does it build up? You see, there you're asking another question. It's not a matter of if it's legit or not, or if I can get away with it or not, is does it edify and build up other people? Third question. Will it tend to enslave me? Will it tend to enslave me? 1 Corinthians 6, 12. I will not be mastered by anything. So let me ask you a question. Is there anything that you cannot give up? Then it masters you. See, some people are addicted to exercise. Some people are addicted to not exercising. <laughs> Either way, it masters you. Some people are addicted to alcohol. Some people are addicted to drugs. We have a major drug issue in America today. And we're afraid to ask the hard questions. How did that get started? I promise you, for most of it, it got started in a bad home. It got started without a mom and a dad that loved and disciplined and corrected and encouraged rebuked, did whatever they needed to do to make sure their children were on the right path as much as possible. And so now we've got an opiate problem in America. The question you ought to ask before you take a drink, before you smoke a cigarette, before you buy pot, before you do anything is, will this 
enslave me. One out of every 10 people in America that take the first drink of alcohol become alcoholics. They have to have a drink to get up. They have to have a drink to calm down. They need a drink to celebrate. They need a drink to socialize. They have to have a drink of alcohol. Now, if I put 10 glasses of water up here and I said, I want one of you to come and volunteer and drink any one of these 10 glasses, but one of them is laced with arsenic. So you got a one in 10 chance that you're going to die before you get that thing down. Would you try it? Oh, no, I wouldn't try that. But you'll let an industry that is bent on getting you addicted to their product control your life. I know people that can't afford to tithe and can't afford to give to the church because they are enslaved to the lottery. Does it enslave you? Paul said, I will not be mastered by anything. Oh, well, before you think I'm just dealing with that, uh, that cell phone that you have to keep looking at when you walk into church, does it really matter what's happening on Facebook when you ought to be visiting and fellowshipping with other people around you? Is that text message so important that you've got to answer it in the moment? I want to tell you something. Many people in this church are addicted to your cell phone and to social media as much as alcoholics and drug addicts are to alcohol and drugs. Because if you lose your phone, you go into a panic. How am I going to keep up? What if I don't like everything everybody posts today? They will think I don't like them. No, they might think you finally got a life. <laughs> you know, well, I, I've got 900 friend, friends on Facebook. Name them right now. Don't look, just name them. Every one of them. Name them. Tell me what they do for a living. Tell me where they live. How do you get to their house? What's their phone number? They're not your friends, they're your distant acquaintances due to wireless internet. And if the internet goes down, by the way, they probably won't show up at your funeral either. Will it enslave you? Number four, will it strengthen me against temptation? Jesus said to pray, lead us not into temptation. Hebrews 12, 1 says, let us throw away everything that hinders. Will it strengthen me? against temptation. What am I putting in my mind, in my heart, in my habit pattern? You see, how you answer those questions will determine if you're qualified to lead, but not only if, but at what level you're qualified to lead. So the crisis of character is real. Here's why I know it. We are more interested in our society in celebrities than in character. See, the leadership crisis is because of a loss of integrity. Now, here's why I think we're in a leadership crisis. When we took the Bible out of schools and prayer out of schools and took the Ten Commandments off of buildings, I'm not saying that made us a Christian nation, but we lost any foundational principle on which to build a moral and ethical society. We lost the ability to determine what's right, and what's wrong? 
And so because of that, non-Christians will talk about we need ethics, we need congressional investigations, we need all of these things, but they have no foundation on which to determine what's right and what's wrong. You see, we've replaced convictions with convenience. And by the way, the answer is not in CNN, MSNBC, Fox News, or Washington, D.C. Every one of those are filled with people with perverted values and an agenda to shape your thinking in a way that does not build your character. I mean, you ought to ask yourself the question sometimes, why do I trust the opinion of that person? What is their life like? What values do they hold dear? What is their core belief system? What are their convictions about life and truth and justice? I mean, we hear a lot about fake news these days, and everybody's bartering back and forth about what fake news is. Can I tell you something? Most news is fake news. It's the subjective opinion of a journalist that's trying to get published or get some airtime. If you don't do your own investigation, you'll believe anybody because they happen to have your political persuasion. Hey, there are a lot of swamps that need to be drained. And turning off the news would be one of them. I've just about quit watching the news. I can tell you, every time, what, I'm going to tell you what's going to be on the news today. Somebody died, somebody's been shot, there's a riot somewhere, there's marching in the street somewhere, somebody's mad, somebody's suing somebody, and there's a car chase in Los Angeles that's going to last eight hours. <laughs> and it's the same thing every day. And now, things that Terry and I sometimes will look and say, why is that a national news story? Because we're trying to rev up people that are bored and have to be sensationalized with stuff that doesn't merit a national news story. You see, what should merit a national news story is how many babies are being aborted in America. What should merit a national news story is the amount of sex trafficking that's going on in Atlanta, Georgia, right now in the Atlanta airport that we ignore when we walk through it. You see, the answer is not in television. The answer is at the throne of heaven, where character is defined. John MacArthur said, the leadership vacuum is screaming to be filled. If godly men and women will step out and lead, people are prepared to follow the right kind of example. Hostile times and adverse circumstances are no impediment to a true leader. Now, if you have your Bible, turn to Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2. And I want you to see a quick model for the kind of leadership that Paul was looking for in those who followed him. Titus chapter 2. And verse 6. If you don't know where it is, if you're going through the major epistles and you get to Timothy, Timothy, Titus, come out of the woods and bite us. That's how you... That's how you know where Titus is. It's after two Timothys. One Timothy, two letters. Okay? Now that everybody's confused, verse 6. Likewise, urge the young men to be sensible. In all things, show yourself to be an example of good deeds with purity and doctrine dignified. 
and sound in speech, which is beyond reproach, so that the opponent will be put to shame, having nothing bad to say about us. Paul says, this is how you act if you want to be an example to people, so that we're not put to shame by our behavior. The Good News translation translates verse 7 this way, in all things you yourself must be an example of good behavior. The CEV translates it, always set a good example for others. I like what Zig Ziglar said, you can teach people what you know, but you reproduce what you are. Lastly, the consistency of character is needed. Eleven times in Paul's writing, he says, be imitators of me. Now, when I just casually read the Bible, I would always say, oh, no, 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 don't, don't, you know, don't look at me, look at Jesus. Don't look at me, look at Jesus. Paul didn't say that. Paul had the same Jesus you have. He had the same Holy Spirit living inside of him that you do. And Paul said, you be imitators of me as I am of Christ. In other words, when you see me following Christ, you follow me. So I began to say, as long as you see me following Christ, follow me. But if I get off the road, keep following Christ. Paul says to be imitators of me 11 times. This eliminates that cop-out. God expects us to be people that have lives worth following. Now, here's what I noticed as I looked at all 11 of these references to be imitators of me. Paul did not say, read your Bible and learn about Jesus. He said, you're a walking Bible. I'm a walking Bible. Now, why would he not say, read your Bible and learn about Jesus? Because the New Testament hadn't been completed and compiled. It would be another 200 years before all the letters and the Gospels had been put together in what we know as the New Testament. And so the Bible, the New Testament had not been assembled, and 95% of the people in the world were illiterate. And so they couldn't read a Bible even if they had owned one. So Paul was saying to Titus, and he said to Timothy, and he says to us, if you want to let the world know what Christian character looks like, they should be looking at you. You should be a Bible that they are reading, a book of good news, a book of truth, a book of integrity. You should be one that they are reading, that, they are, that we are walking witnesses of the truth inside of our personalities. Paul's teachings were character-based. His leadership was modeling Christ. There, there was a book written a few years ago by J. Robert Clifton, The Making of a Leader. And in that book, he studied the lives of biblical personalities and historical personalities. And this was his concluding statement. I'll save you the cost of the book if you don't want to buy it. This is what he said. God does something in his leaders before he does something through them. God does something in his leaders before he does something through them. Or as Roger Breland used to say, God will never use you publicly until he has tutored you privately. God will never use you publicly until he's tutored you privately. God works from the inside out, not the outside in. 
So Jesus said to us, we were to be with him. We were to learn from him. We were to come to him. And in 1 Corinthians 4, Paul sent Timothy to remind them that Paul was a visible living example of the life in Christ. 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, imitate me as I imitate Christ. That's from God's Word translation. The ESV says, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. The Weymouth translation says, be imitators of me insofar as I in turn am an imitator of Christ. That's probably the best translation of that verse is the Weymouth translation. You see, for Paul, of Christ was shorthand for Christian. Be imitators of me because I am of Christ. I am in Christ, and that means I am a Christian, and you should be able to look at me and know and see the difference in a practical, positive, applicable way. So, if you want to be a courageous leader for the next generation, let me give you some suggestions, three quick ones. First of all, Gen Xers and nuns tend to focus on transparent relationships. Gen Xers and nuns, the youngest generations, tend to focus on transparent relationships. Titles, loyalty to people, organizations, systems, and denominations don't mean much to that generation. So what they're looking for is authenticity. That you are what you say you are and you do what you say you will do. They're looking for authenticity. Transparent relationships to say, you know what? I'm not doing so hot today. Or I blew it. Or I messed up. Or I'm sorry. Or I was wrong. They're looking for transparency in relationships. If we don't have that, we will lose this next generation because they will see us as play actors on a stage and not as real people dealing with real life. Secondly, we are a video-driven culture. So if a picture paints a thousand words, then an Instagram video paints a million. I, I, I follow a lot of people, and, and sometimes when I'm scrolling through some of the Instagram posts of some athletes and others I follow, I think, I don't believe I'd have posted that if I was you. That's a little more information than any of us need. You see, we are video-driven. That's why Facebook Live is exploding. That's why Instagram and Snapchat are exploding is because it's video-driven and, by the way, easily disappears. So, if somebody's taking a video of your life, is it a good one? Is it what you want people to see? That goes back to, is it beneficial? Or does it enslave me? Or does it help me to avoid temptation? See, video-driven culture will find out about you by watching your social media posts before they ever meet you. Before they ever hear your voice, before they ever sit down and have a face-to-face -face with you, before they ever shake your hand, they will check out your social media posts. By the way, for those of you that are younger, if you want to get a job one day, clean up your social media. 
Because if you think your bosses don't check out your social media pages, you are very foolish. Because any boss worth his salt will find out what you're doing, what you're saying, and if, you have a, if you're a loose cannon and have a quick trigger on social media, and if you're slamming, listen, if you're slamming the place you used to work for, you'll slam the place you're working for. If you're slamming the people you go to school with, you'll slam the people you go to school with in the next one. If you want to have character, if you want to get a job in a society that has a few jobs to give and not many, then you ought to have character that you can be trusted. Trusted with the cash register, trusted with what happens, trusted with what's said, trusted to do your job, trusted to be on time, trusted to stay late if you need to. If you want to have a job one day, then have character. Number three, there's a high resistance to hypocrisy. A high resistance to hypocrisy. What some generations have tolerated, this next generation will reject. Now, I've got one coming up that is a tongue twister, so you need to write it down because none of us are going to be able to say this quickly. All right? Your walk talks and your talk walks but your walk talks further than your talk walks. Now, you ought to write that in your Bible somewhere. You ought to write it over the book of Proverbs. Your walk talks and your talk walks, but your walk talks further than your talk walks. In other words, it's not just what you say, it's what you do. It's really who you are. Paul was an authentic leader. He is our example in this series of what courageous leadership looks like. And it, by the way, it takes courage to, to have character because the world says you don't have to have it anymore. It takes courage to be a person of character because automatically you're offensive to people that don't have any character, that go with the flow, that cut corners, that lie, cheat, and steal. You're, you're automatically going against the grain with this world. So what does this mean and why does character matter? Four statements. First of all, it defines to others who you are. It defines to others who you are. Your character demonstrates to others how you will react in certain situations. It demonstrates to others how you're going to react in certain situations situations. Or as the old saying goes, what comes out of you when you're squeezed is what's on the inside. Thirdly, it demonstrates your spiritual condition. And fourthly, if you lack it, it can damage your testimony. If you lack it, it can damage your testimony. My first experience with Eric Little was uh, when I saw the movie Chariots of Fire, which won Best Picture in 1982. If you've never seen that movie, you should find a way to get it and watch it. Little was a gifted runner. He ran in the Paris Olympics in 1924, but he would not run on the Sabbath. He refused to run because of his Christian convictions. 
And so he forfeited the opportunity to run in the 100 meter, which he was guaranteed to win. There was nobody faster than him in the 100 meter. So he entered the 400 meter, which he had not run, and set the world record and won a gold medal in a 400 meter race that he had not trained for. After he won, he rejected all offers of fame and fortune to go and become a missionary in China. The press said of Little that he was insane. He rejected teaching positions at Cambridge and at Edinburgh. He turned down the opportunity to be a spokesperson for several corporations that would have been, just by being on their payroll, $2 million a year in today's money just to do appearances on behalf of those corporations. But Eric Little wasn't for sale. He once said that the greatest danger was victory that is bringing a man up to a level above the strength of his character. Bringing a man up to a level above the strength of his character. On one occasion, he said, too many people, for too many people, Christianity is something that came out with the Sunday clothes and did not affect the rest of their daily life and work. When asked what his view of life was, Eric Little said, absolute surrender. When he went to China to be a missionary, he was captured by the Japanese. He was held captive for two years treated brutally, and died in that POW camp. One of his fellow prisoners said of Little, it is rare indeed when a person has the good fortune to meet a saint. He came as close to it as anyone I've ever known. His work has been described as a life of dedicated service that only death could end. He died at age 43. There is no grave that you can go visit. There is a marker with one sentence on it. Isaiah 40 in verse 1. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. How in the world can a guy in another country who forsakes fame and fortune and goes to an obscure place to serve as a missionary in China and dies in a POW camp, how can that person 50 years later have a movie made about him that gets the Best Picture nomination in 1982? And how in the world is he still an illustration in many books? One word, character. If we want to be remembered long after we're gone, we will either be remembered as people with character or as people without character. And if we are remembered as people without character, the ripple effect of that in our children and grandchildren and every life we've touched will be devastating. Would you pray with me?
How's your integrity today? How's your character? Anything questionable going on in your life that needs to go away? Anything you need to die to right now? Anything you need to repent of? Anything you need to say, Lord, I need that out of my life. I'm enslaved by this, or I'm addicted to this, or, or I, I can't do without that. Or People know when I tell them I'm going to do something, I don't do it. Is anything right now leading you toward temptation? Is anything right now damaging your testimony that needs to change? Are you a person of truth? Are you a person of character? Are you a person of integrity? Right where you are, that can all change. You can resolve in your heart that from this day forward, I'm not going to go there. I'm not going to think that. I'm not going to act that way. I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to change. I'm going to be what God saved me to be by the power of the Holy Spirit. I want my kids to look at me and me be able to truthfully say to them, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. I want my students, I want my employees, I want my employer to be able to look at me and I could with integrity say, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. You know, nobody can determine that but you. And it's a daily choice. It's a daily choice. Sometimes it's a minute-by-minute minute choice. But it's a choice we have to make if we want to make a difference, if we want to be leaders, if we want to have influence in people's lives. We have to have the courage to have character even when the world says, you don't have to have that much character. Why is Billy Graham still in the, among the top people in America respected when he hasn't even been out of his house in probably five years except to go to a doctor? Character. Character. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus that we will be a church that is known for integrity and for character in what we do and in how we do it. Lord, this old world system is set to push us and to whittle away at us in ways that would keep us always off balance, always compromising, always thinking we might get away with it. And that voice whispers in our ears all the time. You don't have to be that committed. You don't have to be that sold out to Jesus. But that's not the voice of the Holy Spirit. It's not the voice 
of the resurrected Christ is not the voice of a holy God. It's the voice of our enemy, and it's the voice oftentimes of our own flesh that wants to justify bad behavior. So God, cleanse our hearts. Make us living examples, walking Bibles of good news in who we are and in what we do. Prune away that which keeps us from having that kind of integrity so that our yes is yes and our no is no. And when we speak, we speak truth and we speak it with love. For it's in Jesus' name. And God's people said, Amen.